Welcome back, everybody. This is going to be the start of Season 12, Episode 82 of An Untold Narrative. And today's guest is somebody who I've been asking to be on this podcast for the past couple of years, and she has consistently given me reasons to not come on, but we finally have her, and I'm very, very blessed and thankful. We have uh, Selene Rohr uh, from France, uh, who is coming on to our podcast, so I love having new international guests. She has done unbelievable things with her career around the footwear industry, and so we are excited to get into it. Selene, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm good. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm um, <laughs> also suffering from the February blues. I don't know if that's a thing, but I guess we're in March now, so it's spring's coming. But yeah, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm excellent. And I agree. Yeah, February is a tough month. It's the darkest month. It's the shortest month, thankfully. Um, but we're out of it now. And so I have to start because I have to start this, this episode with asking you about... Um, your experience on the French version of Shark Tank, because what a amazing and unique opportunity for somebody, not only for like anybody, sure, business people, whatever, but somebody from the footwear design industry has made it onto the Shark Tank equivalent, which is so cool and probably super nerve wracking for you and probably was like very stressful. And can you just talk through that experience and like, how did you get the like you're nervous about coming on a conversation with me but you have to go on national tv um well that's why uh for the last two years i wanted to like have something to talk about with you like to have something to share that um if my experience could like help other people and uh when this happened i thought that was the perfect thing so um last january january 25th i was on the french shark tank which uh, i live in london it's called dragon's den here and in French, it's got a really, really long name. It's called Qui veut être mon associé means who wants to be my business partner, which I think is a take on who wants to be a millionaire. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and so um, as a footwear designer, um, I've been a footwear designer for almost 20 years now. I can't believe it. Um, it's, uh, it was a huge opportunity to go on TV and represent creatives because uh, for people who don't know, Shark Tank is a place, a TV show where... Uh, entrepreneurs go and present their product, their idea, their business to a bunch of investors. And the investors, uh, you know, right away tell you if they want to invest or not. Uh, in the French version, there's about two to three million people that watch each episode. Ooh. It's one of the most popular TV shows, especially amongst young people uh, in France. And so it's a huge opportunity for your brand. And then, you know, there's the live night and there's a replay afterwards. So that's good because you get you know, a bit of traction. Um, and so we got the opportunity. We found out that we were going to be, so maybe let me rewind and talk about why I was on it. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's two to 3 million people have seen your face, Celine. That's a very, you're in the 1% of 1% people. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I still can't believe it. Um, so uh, I, so I've been a footwear designer for almost 20 years. As I said, you know me, um, I've worked at Nike and at Puma as a footwear designer. And then I've been freelance since um, 2010. I've worked for Louis Vuitton, for McQueen. I've done a lot of fashion brands as well. Um, and um, I was very fortunate, worked for a lot of great brands. I even launched a brand called Primary. Maybe we'll talk about it later. Um, but, uh, and in 2017, I became creative director of Hogan, which is part of the Todd's group, 
which is like LVMH, but Italian to make mm -hmm. it simple. Um, and uh, when I hit this milestone, I had a huge realization that had been creeping up uh, on me is that the floor industry has a huge problem with sustainability. And that, you know, most of the shoes are made from plastic, even if we call it rubber and it sounds natural, but, um, and I just couldn't face designing more product with brands that weren't willing to change uh, their ways in a more significant manner. So 2019, I was having a little bit of a burnout because I, you know, had seen so many things in the industry and the industry in general, and I was a bit lost. And I got a call from a guy called Romain, who's a French entrepreneur. And uh, he wanted to start a circular sportswear brand and uh, he knew how to raise funds. And so um, I said, yes, but I don't want to just be a designer. I want to be a creative director because if you want to start a brand, you don't just need one designer, you need a team. Yeah. And so um, Circle Sportswear started. Uh, I became the creative director and co-founder and uh, built a team. Uh, we have uh, an apparel designer, a footwear designer, an engineer. Um, somebody who does all the sourcing for us so we can make the most sustainable um, running and yoga apparel first uh, possible. Everything is made and sourced in Europe. Um, and then uh, the second step was to do a shoe. Um, and uh, we wanted to have a little bit of an apparel business before launching a shoe because it takes a lot of money and time to, uh, you know, have a shoe come out. But also, it's good to have a brand already out there and not really start from scratch. And basically, we'd been working on this uh, idea of a circular running shoe. So it kind of sounds impossible if you are already in the shoe business. But um, thanks to um, my, uh, my partner in this project called Miles and a designer called Eric, we came up with um, an idea, a concept for a shoe that um, is not made of plastic. So the idea is um, that basically most running shoes, they're made of plastic and that plastic is not biodegradable. It means that the shoe will deteriorate over thousands of years into microplastics. So it will never really disappear. And uh, most shoes, um, it's, you know, virgin petrol. It's not always recycled. And that's, a, that's another story. But also they're made of different types of plastics and they're glued together with glues that are often sometimes toxic. And so it's very hard at the end of life when you're done using your running shoe to take it apart and then get everything recycled. There's not much, there's not many solutions. It sounds like, oh, there are recycling, you know, plants and, and solutions out there, but there aren't that many. And so uh, we wanted to change that. And the thing is, if you are in Europe, nobody makes performance shoes in Europe. It's most of the time made in Asia. Uh, right. That's where all the technology is. And um, there's a bit of controversy on, you know, the, the quality of life of the workers. And the reason why we want, and so we decided we wanted to make it in Europe so we could be very close to all our partners and, you know, be aware of who we are working with and being able to avoid greenwashing uh, because we would actually be able to check where everything comes from and how everybody who works on the product is treated. Um, so the solution is a shoe that is um, easy to take apart at the end of life in two parts. Um, and that shoe is bio-based. So the upper is made of wool and of tensile, which is um, a fiber that is made from wood. So it's wool and wood, and it can uh, biodegrade uh, anywhere, like in nature, outside, at the end of life. And then the bottom is made from castor beans. Uh, so you can turn castor beans into a running shoe compound. 
and you have to put a little bit of virgin petrol in it. So right. it's not 100% bio-based yet. But at the end of life, you can easily recycle it and mechanically recycle it. That means there's no use of extra chemicals. You just grind it down to a powder and you can turn it into a new midsole again. So it means that the shoe never ends up in the garbage. So there's no plastic left in nature. Um, and, you know, the extra uh, challenge is that it's a running shoe. It means it has to be a performance shoe. Yeah. It has to allow people to run without hurting themselves. That's the main point, like to avoid injury. Um, and uh, basically, we've got everything in place to make this shoe happen. And in May, uh, the opportunity to go on the Dragon's Den or Shark Tank, sorry, um, <laughs> came about. And when I found that out, I was like, I have to be on this project. You know, it's not just our, our founder that needs to talk about it. I've been working on this shoe essentially my whole life because, you know, the last 20 years I've been designing lots of shoes and learning about the way we make them, which is not always very efficient. Um, and you know, there's, you just, it's something when you start designing at first, you're like, it's amazing. I get to design lots of stuff and you're not aware of the impact you have because you're just at the beginning, you get a lot of pressure to come up with lots of ideas. And, you know, as I was going sort of up the ladder of responsibility and a bit more freedom to create, I was noticing that I, everything that I was creating had an impact and I had to do something about it which meant, you know, get, not saying yes to every client that would work with me, like, you know, turning my back sometimes of, on good opportunities to make money. But anyway, long story short, in September, we recorded an episode of uh, Shark Tank and uh, it was aired in January and um, it was excruciatingly stressful the, la the six months. Um, and so, so I, like, you, you, you did it not only create and go on TV, you created a product with a bunch of hurdles and challenges, a fully circular product. You needed a performance product and you wanted to make it all sourced in Europe. And that <laughs> usually people pick one of one of those roads to go down and they stay there. Instead, you guys divided up and conquered all three and came together. And I think one of the one of the really interesting things that you just mentioned um, about yourself was that you the opportunity came up, but you're like, yeah, I'm a designer, but I also, you gave us an entire university lesson on materials right now. So you, you're not only a designer, but you're, you're, you're well knowledge in how things are made, which I think actually make for the best designers when you can actually understand what product you're designing and how it's functioning and how it's being made. So you, you vouched for yourself to be on the show. I think this is so powerful. And like, if they, if the, business people had a question about like a real question, you would be able to answer that. And I think that's something really that like, I want to emphasize and how powerful that is because not every creative who listens to this podcast or myself maybe doesn't understand how everything is made, but you've owned that. And then you were able to go on the show and the people who do watch the clip and we can, we can hopefully link it in the in, underneath this podcast. If you watch it, there is a, a part where you do talk about the materials and how it's, how it's constructed and stuff, which is super cool. And I said a lot more during the pitch because you, um, you record for two hours and then <laughs> Holy they, shit. <laughs> they keep 20, well, for some people it was one hour for us, it was two hours and they keep about 20, 15 to 20 minutes of it. Um, and they cut so much of what I said. It was yeah. so frustrating. <laughs> um, 
because they have to tell a story, right? So um, one of the investors on the show was uh, a world-renowned football player called Blaise Matuidi, uh, sorry, soccer player. <laughs> uh, and so the narrative was around him. You know, it's a sports brand. Is he going to invest? Is he not going to invest? And, um, and then they were grilling us a lot because we were asking for a lot of money and we were evaluating ourselves at quite a high amount. And, uh, you know, 2022 has been very tough on all the investors and um, they don't really want to invest so much money. So the narrative they chose was that, whereas I really wanted to push for, you know, investors need to invest in exciting businesses that are trying to push sustainability, like the planet needs it. Uh, and fashion is the second biggest polluter in the world. Um, and, you know, it doesn't seem to be changing very much. The, the key players uh, in fashion and sports that are doing sustainable stuff are very small. And for the big companies, it's a tiny portion of what they do. So right. it's a huge problem. Um, and the, it's interesting to go on a show like that because, as again, as a creative, I never thought I would get this opportunity. But we have to because it's not seen as cool, right, uh, sometimes to be on TV. Um, especially if you're trying, you know, to, if you're working in a field that is very hype driven, mm. but I think if you want to do something different, if you want to change things, you have to break those unspoken rules. So I want to, I want to talk, I'm glad you brought this up. How frustrating is it to be part of something that's really groundbreaking and leading edge, and it might not get the hype or the exposure that most people probably would would lean on the side of like, yeah, this is super cool and should deserve the exposure. But because it's not quote unquote cool or hype worthy or a brand that everybody knows, it doesn't get the exposure. How frustrating is that? Because I think it's frustrating. It's super, super frustrating um, because sustainability equals boring in a way. Like <laughs> it's, um, it's extremely, it's technical, it's complicated and... It's so it's a great community because you meet amazing people who will want to do good things together and share great values. But at the same time, it's funny because you either don't really get noticed or you get noticed by people who will criticize you because they think you're not being sustainable enough. And often those people have their own sustainable business. So it's kind of like, guys, we all need to work together to make a change in the industry, like criticizing each other because we're not 100% perfect. It's not going to help anything. Um, so that that's interesting. As far as the hype, well, the shoe, we designed it with a really, really good designer. Um, his name is Eric. He's uh, world-renowned. And so I think the shoe looks pretty good. And uh, we got a lot of comments that people like the design because I think sustainability often equates a boring design because people think this product has to last a long time. So it needs to be very neutral so people don't get bored with it. But I think there are ways to make a product, you know, last longer, but not be boring. It can be through detailing. Um, but again, the people who are pioneering sustainability often aren't creatives. And that means there's a huge opportunity to change that. Yeah. And you're also talking about how, you know, knowing more about how shoes are made is very important uh, with tools like AI happening. It's going to be even more important than ever because literally anybody is going to be able to generate an image of a design, but who is going to be able to make that design a reality? Um, you know, without technical knowledge, you as a designer, you're going to be pushed out of the equation. Uh, you're yeah, going to, I feel it's, like yeah. it's, it's a really interesting conversation, right? Because 
you know, for, for ourselves and we're like a, we consider ourselves a web three brand, a footwear brand, right? So we, we not only do the digital, we do the physical and the experiential. So it's three different verticals. We jam into one, right? And one thing we talk a lot about, like, if we're going to be leading edge on the tech side, like, should we lean into AI, right? And I think there's a, there's a, a conversation around, I don't think it's going to replace all creative jobs. It's how creatives manage the, te- the, 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 the tool. Right. So like if you are searching for an hour on Pinterest for one vision you have in your brain of like, I want this image on my mood board to inspire something within a couple words, you can have the AI generate that for you. And it's a lot faster and it saves you as a creative time. So I think it's a lot around how do we utilize those tools not to replace us, but to maximize us. Yeah. I think that's going to be the exciting part. And I think the people who fear AI or don't want to lean like... I always think about technology is a one-way street. It doesn't ever go backwards. So if you're going to run away from it, it's not going to benefit you in the long run. Yeah. And it's funny because I've talked to a few uh, friends around me who are in big corporations and they're trying to pitch AI to their superior who, number one, often don't even know anything about it. And second are like, oh, you know, um, I have a, a friend who like created a bunch of really cool designs on AI and she went to present it to her boss and her boss was like, okay, don't show this to anyone because I don't want you to ruffle any feathers. So I I think that person was worried that some people would get jealous or would get scared. Mm. And um, it's very interesting because when you look at the four industry, the last few years, the last even 20 years, like Illustrator and Photoshop still have been the biggest tools that everybody uses. And even 3D has been tough to embrace. And the people who have success in 3D aren't the classic or a designer, you know, I'm thinking about like Finn Rush Taylor, like they come from other, um, they've, they just found their way because in order to uh, express themselves, they had to do things differently because the big players are still very much stuck in lanes um, that if you don't really fit a certain mold, or if you don't work with a certain tool, then you're not part of the process. And right. Uh, I agree with you. Like we should embrace, we have to embrace this technology, you know, with chat GPT, um, someone like me who's not necessarily very good with words. I have now a tool to help me write better, write shorter. Um, and I don't see it as a threat. Um, so with AI, like mid journey or Dali, they're a bit more scary because, you know, we've learned, we spent so much time learning Photoshop and renderings and stuff like that, but we have to see it as a tool. Yeah. Um, But the interesting thing with AI, and I wonder what you think about it, is like, even though we have this tool, we can make anything we want, there's definitely a trend. Everybody's doing Nike collabs or or like the knit stuff, or I don't know if it's my feed that keeps feeding me the same stuff, but you can definitely tell it's AI. And I also think there's a lot to explore that has not been explored yet, essentially. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a brand new thing. This is is what always happens with new tech, though, right? Like everybody, everybody one immediately starts doing what everybody else is doing within those those tools or those programs and then two the other side is everybody complains about them right it's like natural it's, it's what happens with everything right it happened with facebook it happened with instagram like it happens with with everything and every new technology that comes out um but yeah i i agree there's there's a ton more to explore there's like 
like we we shouldn't be putting it into a bucket. We should find these niches in our workflow that can help maximize what we're doing. And and everybody's going to find their own path. I think it's amazing that like VR design can coexist with traditional design, and that can exist with the people who still do Photoshop renderings or do three D like it all can coexist. It's not one or the other. And I think that is the message that I think people need to embrace is that like, don't be scared of it, embrace it. It can all coexist. It's not all going away. It's not all going to take over each other. It's like, and and I think what's cool about your career is like, even there, you mentioned brands that I didn't know that you worked for is like your progression is always trying to figure out what the new creative outlet for you is, whether it's from working with large corporations like Nike and Puma to what then switching to a fat, more fashion oriented vertical to starting your own brand primary, which I forgot that you did years ago. Like I completely forgot that you did such a cool, like very classic oriented, like sneaker. And then now you, you joined a, a completely new revolutionary startup. And so like, you've always been at the like forefront of like pivoting your career in this really amazing way. Like, how have you always, like, come to those decisions? Because I think a lot of young people are, like, want to go work for the big brands. They want to do these things. At what point did you know that you have to switch? Or, like, was it an internal feeling or, like, a burnout feeling? Like, what? how do, how do you feel in those moments? There's loads of different feelings, and I'm a very sensitive person. But um, I kind of have a career that's the opposite of what a lot of people do. I started at the biggest brand. I started at Nike. And now I'm going to like smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> and, uh, and so when you're at a big brand, your scope of work is very focused. And I felt like I didn't, I didn't have uh, enough space to express myself. And so um, when you are at a startup, then you do everything, you know, like now I have to organize photo shoot. I'm a producer. I'm a graphic designer. I'm, I just do some, I have to like book models. I, there's just so so many different things that you do that you never thought you would do um, ever, and you learn so much. Um, but essentially, I, it was never a plan. I'm, I've never said in five years I want to do this or in five years I want to do that. Um, and um, you know, it's Women's Month, and uh, one thing I've noticed about my career is that my gender has always been uh, very present in my career, for better or for worse. Um, but basically I wanted to be a footwear designer because I didn't understand why women had to wear high heels to go to a job interview. So that was around, you know, 2005 and 2000 or even early 2000s. And, um, and also, and so I wanted like to participate in a revolution where women could be comfortable and still feeling feminine, you know, um, and it also involved this idea of backpacks because, you know, we were becoming more and more nomads. You had to um, nomadic lifestyle. You had to carry your laptop everywhere with your charger. And when you have a huge fancy leather handbag, you know, you don't really have, uh, it's really heavy to put all the extra stuff in it. And so I was like, why are, as soon as when a woman wears a backpack, she's seen as like a schoolgirl or that she's going hiking. So that's what really took me to the sportswear industry is because I thought there was a huge opportunity. And, you know, the last, 20 years, like women now can wear sneakers, maybe not every industry, but it's really been democratized and it's been huge leaps. So basically started in sportswear, noticed that it was quite a sexist industry and I dealt with a bit of sexual harassment um, and also met amazing people. I don't want to like uh, <laughs> say that everyone is bad, but it was as a young 20 year old, uh, a difficult moment. And I decided I wanted to try fashion because the sports world at the time, uh, when you worked at Nike, 
fashion was a dirty word. Like oh. it was all about uh, sports, performance, athleticism. Um, and now things have changed. But at the time I was like, I like fashion because fashion is starting to embrace sneakers and it's poetic. And I always thought that, you know, a good design has a story to it and the story has to have some kind of feeling to it. Um, and so I applied for Louis Vuitton. That's a good story. I, um, I was a Nike. They were looking for, uh, no, I was at Puma. Sorry. I was at Puma. They were, no, blah, blah, sorry. I was a Nike. They were looking for a footwear designer, um, at Louis Vuitton and I applied. And I had an interview and um, it was the worst interview of my life. The woman, and I didn't wear sneakers to my interview because I, I was like too scared because it was Louis Vuitton. And the recruiter said, I would never work in fashion. My portfolio was way too streetwear that, um, you know, I was just not right for that. And, you know, good luck. But I felt it was very harsh feedback. And um, I still, you know, kept looking for a job. Um, and I ended up at Puma. Puma was the first brand to have create, uh, fashion creative directors. There was Alexander McQueen. When I was at Puma, it was like 2008. And uh, Hussein Shalayan, who is an incredible designer, was the creative director of Puma. So they were the ones that were embracing fashion and sport. Uh, so I worked for them for two and a half years. And uh, Louis Vuitton called me after two and a half years. And they were like, we still have your portfolio. It was with the design team. Uh, so like the... I think it was like the creative director or the design manager of shoes called me and he said, we really like your, your portfolio. We've had a hiring freeze because 2008 was, you know, the moment sure. where um, there was a crash. So call me in 2010 or 2011. They have my portfolio. They want to see me again. We skip the part where I see the recruiter. I go directly to see the design team. And in maybe 20 minutes, like they kind of were making me feel that I got the job. And uh, basically offered me my first freelance job, didn't even have to ask for it, doubled my salary, and I became the, um, uh, the first sneaker designer for Louis Vuitton. And at the wow. time, Mark Jacobs was the creative director, so it wasn't the same as when Virgil was there, obviously. Um, but it was a big step because uh, sneakers were their biggest growing category. Um, and, um, they, they were just trying to understand it cause it was very, very new for them. They were just used to doing much more dressy shoes. Um, and so I was part of that transition. I was a little bit too streetwear for them. It took, you know, I was a bit too early for my time, but it was still, you know, a great way to see that someone from sportswear could go into fashion because at the time it wasn't necessarily the case. Now there's lots of people who've been doing it, um, and there wasn't Instagram, so I couldn't, you know, create a community <laughs> around it at the time. But it was still a great experience. Um, I forgot that's where I was the, going with this. <laughs> that's so that's so cool. I didn't. You, that, that's a rare moment in such a, a big brand to be the first of something, and like that's amazing. And especially like I'm I'm so happy you shared that story with International Women's Month uh, being in March this year, and like we just came off of. January and February, which is like the darkest month of the year with cold, depressing winters. And now we hopefully have some spring light coming through. And um, is there like, oh, I've known you for a few years now, but like, you've always had this amazing blend of like male to female, like group of close friends, whether that's like, you know, Suzanne or Helen or Daniel or like whatever. And like, it's never felt like skewed one way or another. And so like to hear you talk about, you know, the challenges of your career and like, 
Do you think that's changed in the industry? Because I feel like it's changed. It's not the way that it used to be 10 years ago. It's it's much better. It's more open-minded. Again, you said women can wear New Balance sneakers into the office. Like it's To me, it feels much different. Do you, do you feel that it's gotten better? You just had to live through the tough times. Yeah, and there were tougher times before me. So yes, it's definitely got a lot better, especially in terms of uh, harassment. I think some things that were okay before just aren't anymore. Um, I think now what I notice is two things. I'm about to turn 40 this year and it's weighing on what? me heavily. Yeah, well, that's you what happens. Like you're when you're 23, <laughs> You look like you're 20s. <laughs> but, it, you know, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter anyway, like, uh, if I look young or not. But mostly, like, we don't, I don't have many women to look up to uh, that have passed this stage and are still in the industry. There is Stephanie Howard that you work with. There is uh, Natalie Kendrian, um, who is a super talented designer. Um, but there's just not many. Uh, and that's Why always you? been driving me because I was like, if I can't find mentors, I have to mentor myself, you know? Uh, why, and- why do you think that is? Do you, do you, have you thought about that? It's like why women drop off in their like yeah. later years? We, well, first there was, you know, there's, there was less women in the beginning and it was sure, such sure, a sure. sexist environment that they weren't getting promoted. I mean, I firsthand saw that like super talented women not getting promoted. Um, because it's also when you're in a big, if you're in a big company and you're a young woman, uh, especially when I was there, they weren't really, if, if a man wanted to mentor you, it wasn't necessarily to help you with your career. Um, and so some men that wouldn't have negative intention towards women wouldn't even dare be seen with a younger woman because they, it's not that they wouldn't want to mentor her, but they wouldn't want to get a reputation of trying to to, you know, have a closer relationship with them. So it's a very, very complicated thing, right? Oh. And everybody is very young in those industries. Like, you know, lots of designers are between 20 and 30 years old. It's a very complicated time. Um, so I think that's why women don't get the same opportunity as men starting in the industry that way. Um, I've always been, you know, yeah, having um, male and female friends. And um, it's interesting you say that because uh, in the industry, I did feel that being a woman, I was different, you know, cause you would, I would have colleagues that would, uh, find girlfriends and the girlfriends wouldn't be happy with me being friends with them, even <laughs> if it was platonic. Uh, and they, you know, cause we were speaking shoe, you know, like there's this thing, if you are a shoe designer, you speak shoe, no matter, yeah. <laughs> we're, just, we're just big geeks and we just like to talk about it. And, um, and so when I met Daniel from a Concept Kips, it was really great because he listened to me. He listened to me like complain about inequality and I didn't have many women designer around me. And he introduced me to Helen Kirkham, to Suzanne um, and those and Kitty, you know, Kitty Shookman. And it was like such a revelation to have these incredibly talented uh, young women around me that are now my friends. And that's helped so much because they are quite prominent in the industry, uh, but there's, we're still a minority. Um, and you know, fashion week where sneakers are celebrated is men's fashion week. Um, mm. so that's also very interesting. You know, that's when, uh, the buyers will buy sneakers. Um, and then for women's fashion week, a lot less. So there are still some, um, some weird things about it. Um, and then as women disappearing after 40, we had a little talk on clubhouse a couple of years ago. Cause we had those clubhouse talks. Those so are awesome. I miss I those. Um, and so a few women, you know, spoke up and they were saying, well, we have kids and, uh, it's hard 
to uh, have a footwear career because it's a very, you know, being a designer is very demanding. Uh, you have to travel a lot. Um, you know, that's the reason why, you know, I don't have much time left until I can't have kids and I have to make a decision soon. It's something that is weighing on my mind um, for several reasons, including climate change. And, you know, it's, it's not just a, a one thing. But I also think that uh, maybe some women got fed up and they changed industry. Um, it, and But I would love to hear more. I think a lot of women now are in big companies and um, they don't really speak up because you're in a corporation and you don't necessarily feel like you have a voice or maybe they don't want to. Um, but I think I'm not the only one who's getting closer to 40. So I think the landscape is about to change. Um, and I guess we have to be sort of the examples positive examples for our, for the next young people coming in, because now the main problem I think is not necessarily gender inequality, it's um, depression, it's, you know, feeling inadequate. Um, it's an extremely competitive industry and there are more and more players and, you know, people have Instagram following, they have, there's all these kind of invisible pressures uh, that do affect, I know they affect me, so I'm sure I'm not the only one. Well, they, 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 there are, there are weeks where, you know, I'm very active in like my Instagram stories and like, I try to express how I'm feeling when I'm feeling it, like, I, like do different ways to interact with these people that like, I don't really know, like they just exist in the universe, but they like, they like apparently what I do. But there are weeks where I'm just like, oh, I really don't want to do this. But then it's like, you get a message of like, oh, you really inspired me here. And it's like, Oh, I have to keep doing this. And like, I think it's like more of like focusing on the opportunity versus yeah, social, everybody's heard the social media is a highlight reel, but I think it can be more authentic. I think people can build real connections with real people if they choose that route, but it does apply to use your words, it applies more pressure because people don't want to be vulnerable because then you get nitpicked. Then it's like, the, the conversation of the two sustainable companies picking on each other of like, ah, it's 98% perfect instead of yeah. 100. And it's like, it's scary, right? And like, even with yourself, you for a long time didn't post, right? And now like recently, like you've been more outgoing and forthcoming with like your work and sharing it. And, and it's nice to see, right? Like, and I think <laughs> everybody has a time and a place where they're comfortable with it. But I do think there's something to be said around the, the, the vulnerability and like not being scared to be yourself. Yeah, yeah, I think that's also why I wanted to talk to you because you share that with me. Um, I think the industry is so competitive and it's very hype driven. And it's about, you know, we look up to, there's a lot of, you know, we look up to rappers and, and cultures that are based on personas and showing yourself in a different way. And I do believe life is about being yourself and that, being you is your superpower because there's nobody else like you. Um, but in order to be myself, I had to become an independent designer and really find the places where I can be myself at work and outside of my work. It doesn't mean that when I'm at work, I'm being inappropriate, but I don't want to apologize for being myself or, and, and it's, uh, it's tricky because yeah, if you're exposing that on social media or on TV, um, you can get criticized. Um, or if you don't feel like you have an impact, it can also be disappointing because you, you know, you put yourself out there and if there's no results and what does a good result mean? Is it a number of likes? Is it a number of followers? Like, and you know, the friends you have, the real friends you have don't care how many followers you have, Right. but if there's, uh, 
I don't know, an event or a sneaker fashion week event, then all of a sudden the amount of followers does matter and it can create a bit of a feeling of in, uh, inadequacy. Um, but it's interesting because last fashion week I was in Paris and I wasn't supposed to be part of it. Uh, I was supposed to be with my fiance and he um, had, uh, there was a strike, he couldn't come. And so I was like, oh, it's fashion week. Like I'm going to feel left out, even though I've got all this experience and I know all these people. And I decided to not be down on myself and just be like, look, I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to like, if some people are out, I'm going to see my friends. Helen is in town. Daniel's in town. Like, you know, if we have more important things to do, it's fine. Like just go with the flow. And it was interesting because I really meant it. And I really was not expecting anything. I was just being myself, being happy, being nice and not expecting anything and ended up having like a really nice weekend, meeting lots of people, feeling included and not, not getting into my, oh, I'm sorry for being here. You know, I'm not as popular. I'm not as cool. I'm not as young, blah, blah. And that was a real breakthrough for me, but it's hard to keep that sort of energy or vibration or, or mental uh, state, you know, going um, because you always see people doing better than you and you're happy for them too. I think you can be happy for other people and you can also be envious and you can also forget that you're doing okay as well uh, because that's social media doing its job, you know? Um, but that that's what I mean. It's interesting and important to have vulnerability because I feel that people should feel like they can come to you and share. And um, I do feel we need more spaces where us, even uh, as, as shoe designers, we used to have during lockdown, little calls, you know, between about 10 of us. And that felt good also, you know, we were all in lockdown. You were, you know, you were quite isolated if you don't mind yeah. sharing that. And I think it was just nice to be reminded that you're not alone um, in this. Um, but yeah, it's still something I guess I struggle with on a regular basis. How yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been a wild journey. It's been, it's been fun to be part of. Um, it's been fun to watch. I'm glad you were able to, to break through. I mean, even from afar, like I saw the, the fashion week week and I'm like, Oh, Selene's like out and about. She's like, it was, it was like, like joyful. Like it was, it was cool to like see. Cause I know, I know how much, you know, you struggled with that. And like, I think, I think it's nice that you, you came on and you're able to share your story and be in a good place. Hopefully you're, you're like, you, you, I feel like you're in a better place today than where, where you have been over the years. And, um, what, what, a what a cool moment, you know, in 2023, we're still at the beginning of the year and there's a lot to, to look forward to. Is there, is there anything that's, um, that you're super excited about for the rest of the year or like something you're working on or super passionate about or, um, the, the one thing we didn't talk about is that during this Dragon's Den pro uh, program, um, I was presenting a shoe, right? But the shoe did not exist. Um, <laughs> so uh, it was kind of like a nightmare. I had to present a shoe in my socks, in jogging pants, on live TV. Like, and um, we only had a last and a 3D outsole and a concept, uh, which is crazy. I don't even know like why I said yes to doing that, but it worked. We, you know, we were, we sold hundreds of shoes, uh, during the show and they will only be available in one year. Uh, we're, we're banging the middle in bang in the middle of development. It's, we had to do the pre-order so long in advance because we got the opportunity to be on the show essentially. So it helped, you know, like push us into a higher gear to get this going. Um, so my goal is to get this shoe out and for it to deliver. Um, wow. and, 
I think that's a huge step because it requires patience. It requires grit. We still have to run this, this business um, as we're doing it. Um, and sometimes when you work in a startup, you want to give up. Like it's hard. It's ups and downs and it's, you know, you run out of money and then more money comes in or, or, you know, you have to sacrifice your salary. Sometimes you have to, uh, take risks. You, um, I, I don't know how to describe it. Like it's just a, a crazy roller coaster and you've got real responsibilities over people, over production, uh, over everything. And some, and so, but I know that if I want to work in sustainability now, I can't say yes to working with all the same brands I have worked with in the past. Um, and it means a financial sacrifice, which sometimes, you know, is annoying because you feel like I'm at this level of my career, but I, I feel like I'm not doing as well as I was in the past, but mm. I am doing as well because I enjoy what I'm doing more and I feel like I'm working for a purpose. Uh, but and that, and you know. that is the, the takeaway, right? I know. And, and like, I know this cause I also work for a startup. Like your back is always against the wall. Every, like, it feels like every other day you're like, fuck, why did I do this? But you're every time you problem solve another thing and then you check another thing off the list, like you get that rush and excitement and like the purpose, the word purpose is so for anybody listening, the key is just finding something you're really passionate about and like figuring that out and then like that is your driving purpose and every single day regardless of how many problems there are it's still exciting and you want to wake up and you want to go to work regardless of the money because it doesn't matter if you wake up stoked to be here that's the best feeling so yeah. i'm so happy you 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 said that and you mentioned that um i have a, a tradition that has become a tradition over the past like 10 or so episodes Selen, um where i want you to share who would you give flowers to uh, if you had to pick one, two, ten people, somebody oh, who God. immediately comes to mind, who has helped you with your journey? You've obviously had a ton of ups and downs. You've worked 20 years in this industry. Who's 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 somebody or, or multiple people who've helped you along your way and who you'd want to give a, a, sh a shout out to? Well, there's multiple people, but because it's uh, March, for me, it's all the women I've I've met along the way. Um, and, you know, especially Helen Kirken, Susan Uda Hengel, um, Kitty Shookman, um, you know, Natalie Kendrian, Stephanie Howard, Charisse Thornhill, like there's just so many of them, um, too many to list. Um, I apologize if I forget anyone, but for me, um, we don't see each other enough, but we've got each other's back and we sort of like have this understanding of the chance we have, the struggles we've gone through, um, and, uh, and so for me, the flowers would definitely be for them. And it just also makes me think of one thing. We said the industry is better. We're still a minority and it's still a difficult competitive industry. And one of the reasons I did the show is because um, we are four uh, co-founders in Circle Sportswear and I'm the only woman. There were other women in the team that could have been co-founders and they didn't want to. And the reason why is they were, they were a bit shy. You know, They were like, oh no, I, I don't want to put myself out there. I don't think this is for me. And when I told them I was going to be on the show, they were like, oh my God, I don't know how you're doing this. I could never do it. And I was like, I don't want to be on TV. I don't want to have to present in my socks, you know, and learn something by heart because you don't have a PowerPoint. You have to like present <laughs> on live TV. Um, but I have to do this because too many women around me are scared to do it. Mm. And 
don't have to do it also for me, but I do feel like women were so stuck in trying to make things perfect and always be nice and never really being okay with being disliked or doing something imperfectly or being out there because if we put ourselves out there, we might be criticized for what we say, how we look, you know, like there's just so many layers that I feel that we have to deal with. Um, but so that was a huge op opportunity for me to grow, to learn that it's okay. You can go on TV. You, you know, it's quite an experience to see yourself uh, on the screen, uh, but it's definitely a growing experience. And I want more women to feel the confidence that they can speak up and it's okay not to be perfect. Um, and that's also what startup teaches you, you know, like it's okay to fail forward. And what's important is you learn and you grow and you learn who you are even more. Um, so in this thing, I will be bold and I will give myself flowers because um, I've been working very, very hard. And um, I've just noticed I've been very down on myself, but when I, I, I've just done something pretty big. So also don't forget to uh, reward yourself, I guess. And flowers to you too. David. <laughs> no, 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 stop. I'll give you all the flowers. I understand how much work you put in. And uh, I think that's awesome. I completely agree. Like you deserve all of them. You have this massive flower for those watching on YouTube behind you or a plant. <laughs> plant. <massive. Fiddle>. <laughs> <laughs> you, you definitely deserve all the flowers. Um, so I, I don't know about you. Like I, there are days where I wake up and I like think back on like the, yesterday, like all the shit that I did. And I'm like, fuck Dave, I'm proud of you. Like I say that to myself all the time and I think people need to do that more. And like, because we do a lot of work, like we should like raise ourselves up because not a lot of times people don't do that for you. So you deserve it. Uh, I'm very, very thankful that you came on episode 82 of an untold That's narrative crazy. salon after, after asking you for such a long time. <laughs> to be ready but also i've never done this before like reminding myself oh i need to be proud of myself i think i'm learning this lesson today thanks to yeah, you try it and yeah. it's like i i listen to this uh, i'm gonna forget this woman i'll send you her podcast later she has this theory or the high five thing so every morning when she walks into the bathroom she like gives herself a high five and it's like her way her, her way of starting the day and i i like learn i don't do that but like it was like my lesson extraction from that was no, you need to be like more like self-fulfilling and be prouder of yourself every single day because we do a lot of cool shit. And like, yeah. it's easy to look at the negative, but harder to look at the positive. And we've done a lot of amazing things and I'm stoked for you. I'm very proud of you. I think oh, you've done amazing things. And her name is Mel Robbins. Mel and Robbins, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's so awesome. Five to us. Celine, <laughs> <laughs> um, this has been great. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Dave. Have a nice month of March and celebrate all the women around you. <laughs> 100%.